Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 19. Please follow along as I begin reading at verse 19 of Acts 14. Acts 14, verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And there we stop our reading of God's word. Our focus in this message this evening will be upon those verses which I have just read, but we will also note other verses in chapters 13 and 14, so please keep your Bibles open. By way of background, Paul and Barnabas are continuing on their missionary journey through the region of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. In Acts 13 and 14, we learn some vital truths regarding what I'm calling church life in a fallen world. Church life in a fallen world. What should we expect in church life here at Trinity Baptist Church? What should any genuine believer expect concerning church life in this present fallen world? Well, from Acts 13 and 14 and verses 19 through 28, we can learn a little bit about that reality. Now, these are not the only Bible passages that teach us about church life in a fallen world. But I'm focusing upon these verses in Acts 14 because they give us a summary or a very helpful 
photo snapshot of these vital church life realities, again, in a fallen world. So what is the first? What is the first reality of church life in a fallen world? Well, we'll see this from these chapters. First of all, it's preaching the word of God. Preaching the word of God was paramount to these people there in the book of Acts. The word paramount means dominant or supreme. Preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel, was a dominant and primary practice of these early Christians in these early Christian churches. For example, in Acts 13, we read that Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel throughout the island of Cyprus. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews throughout that island, Acts 13 and verse 5. The Roman ruler of Cyprus, we're told in that chapter, heard the word of God from Barnabas and Paul, verse 7 of Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas then left Cyprus and sailed to Asia Minor. In the city of Antioch, Pisidia, we are told that Paul proclaimed words of exhortation in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And these words included a lot because a, a good summary, a lengthy summary of Paul's message is given to us there in Acts 13. I'd like you to look there in Acts 13. In verses 16 through 22, in Paul's preaching of the word, he gives a recounting of biblical history. He did that because it was very important for these people to understand that Jesus Christ, indeed, the Savior, he has uh, reality is rooted all the way back into the Old Testament. And then in verse 23 of Acts 13, there's a declaration of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the son of David. In verse 24, the preaching of Paul and Barnabas included the necessity of repentance from sin. Verses 27 to 28, they preach about the condemnation and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they go on to speak of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they go and speak about the forgiveness of sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 38 to 39 of Acts 13. And then this sermon was concluded with a warning to not be unbelieving and impenitent, verses 40 and 41, to not be stubborn and unbelieving and impenitent. And so I pause here and say to everyone, the good news of Jesus Christ is this. He is the Son of God, the God-man, the only Savior of sinners. He came into this world and lived a sinless life on behalf of sinners. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. He was raised from the dead because he did no sin himself. God accepted his sacrifice for sin and sinners in his death on the cross. And God now commands all men everywhere, and that includes boys and girls, he commands, he's not suggesting, he commands all men everywhere to repent, 
to change the way you think about yourself, the world, and your own sin, to turn to God through Christ for forgiveness of your sins, that's repentance, and believing in Christ that he and he alone can and will save me from my sins. That's the gospel that Paul and Barnabas proclaimed where they went, everywhere where they went. We're told that they were constantly proclaiming the word of God. We're told that the very next Sabbath day they did the same thing. We're told that many Gentiles in particular believed the word of God, which Paul and Barnabas preached, and then they were rejoicing. Paul and Barnabas then moved on to the city of Iconium and continued the practice of boldly speaking the word of God's grace, so that a multitude of both Jews and Gentiles believed. Acts 14, verses 1 to 3. Now in these passages, Paul and Barnabas again and again were preaching the word of God. They then move on to the city of Lystra. They then take a temporary journey over to the city of Derbe. And we're told that in these places again, they preached the word of God. So brethren, we need to understand as a church here at Trinity Baptist Church in a fallen world, we are to see that preaching the word of God is to be central, paramount, supreme. It doesn't mean we don't do other things as a church, as a people, but the preaching of the word of God is to be central in the life of Trinity Baptist Church. We must follow the example of Paul and Barnabas and the apostles revealed to us here in the Bible, because preaching is God's means to bring salvation from sin to sinners. It is God's means primarily to sanctify saints so that they become more like Jesus Christ. We must not allow ourselves as a church to be sidetracked off into matters that may be good in themselves, but are not primary for the church in a fallen world. We must understand that there are many good things that we can do as believers, like helping hands on Friday night. That's a very good ministry of the church. We're glad we have it. We should continue to support it. We should be involved as we're able. And thankfully, during those Helping Hands meetings, the gospel is proclaimed. But we must learn from our Bibles that such ministries, as important as they are, as good as they are, they're not to be the primary emphasis of the local church in a fallen world. It's to be the preaching of the word of God. So I ask you, what's your attitude of heart when you hear the Bible proclaimed? Are you weary of it? Are you tired of it? Do you think it's just kind of boring? Do you think you could, we could maybe go to something else? 
you know, what is your attitude, your heart attitude towards preaching, the preaching of the word of God? In the Bible, in the book of Acts, we see that preaching was central in the churches in a fallen world. But secondly, persecution of Christians was commonplace amongst these churches in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas confronted opposition, persecution in almost every single location where they preached the gospel. They were met by opposition from unbelieving Gentiles and unbelieving Jews. We can read of that in Acts 13 and Acts 14. And in verse 22 of Acts 14, we read that the apostles were exhorting the disciples and instructing them that through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Persecution is a form of tribulation. And notice in Acts 13, the kind of persecution which Paul and Barnabas and ordinary disciples experienced. In Acts 13, verse 8, the apostles were withstood, we're told. They were resisted by the persecutors. In verse 45, we're told that the persecutors were filled with jealousy. In verse 45, again, the unbelievers contradicted the things spoken by Paul. And in verse 45, again, they railed against Paul and Barnabas. They blasphemed. In verse 50, they stirred up others to persecute the apostles. In verse 50, they cast Paul and Barnabas out of their cities. In verse 2 of chapter 14, we're told that the unbelieving, when they could, they caused other unbelievers to have disaffection toward the believers. You see, the persecutors, when they could do so, they did whatever they could do to create problems for the apostles and the believers, even to the point of stoning Paul and Barnabas. So you, dear brother or sister in Christ, you should not be surprised when persecution comes to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It may be that unkind look from someone in the office. It may be the quiet conversations in the office that have excluded you. And when you walk by, you realize they very well may be talking about you because of your Christian testimony. Or it could be those who actually verbally persecute you or a boss who wants to make sure you do not advance in the company because he does not like your Christianity. Or maybe you will get fired because of your Christian principles. You see, we should expect persecution. That is life for the church, the Christian church in a fallen world. And you should not be surprised when persecution occurs. So that's a second reality. There's preaching, persecution, but thirdly, notice from Acts 14 and verse 22, 
Perseverance by Christians was indispensable. We're told that Paul and Barnabas spent time exhorting the disciples to continue in the faith. It is absolutely necessary that Christians persevere in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They must persevere in the faith. And it is also absolutely necessary that Christians continue in the faith by persevering in holding on to and believing and loving and following the doctrines of the Christian faith revealed in the pages of Scripture. Faith in Christ, but also holding on to the faith found in the Scriptures. Both are necessary. This two-pronged perseverance is needed at all times and in all seasons of life, and especially when there is persecution. There is no salvation without perseverance in the faith. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 10, 22. He said, You shall be hated by all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. The Lord clearly taught that perseverance of Christians is indispensable. But notice in Matthew 10, if you turn there in your Bibles, you'll see this, the context of those words of the Lord Jesus. The Lord warned his disciples that the gospel will create divisions within families. That shouldn't shock you. The Lord Jesus stated it. There will be divisions within families because of the gospel. It is possible for a genuine Christian to be hated by his own family members. And when that happens, the Christian must choose to love Jesus Christ more than his or her own flesh and blood. You should still love your flesh and blood, but you must love Jesus Christ supremely. You must remember that hatred and persecution from your family members is temporary. You must persevere to obtain eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. On another occasion in Matthew 24, verse 13, the Lord declared, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And if you turn to Matthew 24, you'll see the context there. In the context of Matthew 24, the Lord was warning his disciples that prior to his return to this earth, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be natural disasters. Hatred will increase. False prophets will arise. Doesn't that sound like our day and age? 
There are wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters. Hatred is increasing in America. False prophets exist in America. And notice also, the love of Christians, one for another, will grow cold as iniquity in the world is multiplied. And what are you to do in such a bleak and pressured spiritual environment? Retreat to the wilderness of northern Canada? No. Stay home all by yourself? No. What are you to do? You are to persevere in your faith in Christ. Persevere in holding on to the doctrines of the Bible. Persevere in loving Christ. Persevere in loving one another. Persevere in loving sinners. Regardless of the source or the intensity of the persecution, every Christian must understand that persecution is the norm in this fallen world. And therefore, perseverance in the faith is non-negotiable and indispensable. But notice, fourthly, preservation by God is essential. Turn back to Acts chapter 14 and look at verse 23. Preservation by God is essential. In Acts 14, 23, we read, And when they, the apostles, had appointed for them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas not only preached the gospel, they also guided the churches so that biblically qualified elders were installed in each local church. They also prayed with fasting for the believers in these churches. But note especially the crowning aspect of their labors. They commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. Now, if you look at Acts 20 and verse 32, Luke tells us that the Apostle Paul encouraged the Ephesian elders in a very similar way. Acts 20, verse 32, Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, said, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all them that are sanctified. So we've already seen that Christians must persevere in their faith in Christ. But without the gracious, sovereign, almighty, preserving of God himself, no Christian disciple will ever persevere and be brought safely to glory. You must persevere, and you must ask God for the grace to persevere. And when you get up early in the morning, and you know part of perseverance is reading your Bible each morning, and you don't feel very energetic, 
you feel very sleepy, you're very tired, you know you must still sit down, open up your Bible, and read the Word of God. You must persevere. But unless God himself preserves you, you will not persevere. And therefore, what should you do? You must cry out to God for not only grace to persevere, but cry out to God for that preserving grace of your heart and soul and life. And you must realize that it is the power of God alone that guards and keeps you through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Preservation by God is essential. But fifthly, my last point here, we see in Acts 13 and 14, a pattern for missionary work. Turn in Acts 14 to verse 26, and I'll read that portion. Acts 14 and verse 26. And Paul and Barnabas, they sailed to Antioch from where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all things that God had done with them and that he had opened a door of faith unto the Gentiles. In Acts 13, we see that the church in Antioch, Syria, commissioned and sent Paul and Barnabas to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they went out into the world, and they preached the gospel of free forgiveness and salvation from sin through faith in Jesus Christ, and they planted, by the grace of God, biblical churches. And brethren, this is what we, as a local church, are to continue to pray and ask God to help us to do now and in the future. We are to ask him to help us to be able to send out men to preach the gospel in other parts of the world but not only other parts of the world, but in places very near at hand. All you have to do is drive through Patterson, New Jersey. And what do you see? Have you ever done that? You should do something like that. Drive through Passaic, New Jersey. What do you see? multitudes of people who are like sheep without a shepherd. The needs are right here in New Jersey as well. There are men and women, boys and girls, who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 4 and verse 35. John chapter 4 and verse 35. The Lord said to his disciples, 
Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white already unto harvest. This is what I'm encouraging all of the members of Trinity Baptist Church, every genuine Christian here in this auditorium, lift up your eyes. Lift them up away from your legitimate duties and responsibilities. Lift up your eyes and look around you in northern New Jersey. Lift up your eyes and ask God to open those eyes to see that the fields are white already unto harvest. Turn now to Matthew 9 and verse 36. Matthew 9 and verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and scattered as sheep not having a shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, the harvest indeed is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into his harvest. Not every Christian is called to be a pastor, a preacher. If you're a woman, you're not called to be a pastor or a preacher because God's word forbids that. But there are men, young men, older men. You're not all necessarily called to go forth and be a pastor, be a preacher. But we can all do what Jesus tells us here in Matthew 9. Pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send forth laborers into his harvest because the harvest indeed is plenteous and the laborers are few. Brethren, we need to regularly be praying this way. We never want to pressure a young man to go into the Christian ministry because the needs are so great. We never want to manipulate young or older men to go and preach the gospel on the streets of Morristown or wherever. No, we don't want to do that. But when God is calling a man, whether young or old, to be a gospel preacher, it will be evident to the church, the local church. It will be evident to the pastors of the local church. It will be clear that the Lord of the harvest is indeed preparing this man or these men to be sent forth out into the harvest field. But all of us can indeed and should pray, Lord, do that work of raising up men to be laborers in your harvest field. So brethren, by way of review, we've seen from these Bible passages a snapshot photo of church life in a fallen world. 
There is preaching the word of God central in the churches. Persecution of Christians was commonplace and we should not expect anything else. Perseverance by Christians is indispensable. Preservation by God is absolutely essential. And we have a pattern for missionary work. So I close with a few questions. Who or what is shaping your perspectives on the local church? Who or what is shaping your perspectives regarding the local church? Are you thinking biblically about the local church? Are you going to other sources to find out what a local church should be doing? And those sources are telling you things that are not at all biblical, but they give results. Yes, we want to see God fill the pews of this church building. We have sung that this very night in our hymns. But we do not resort to carnal, worldly, unbiblical methods to fill the church. We preach the word of God. We befriend sinners. We reach out to sinners. We pray that the Lord will raise up preachers and pastors. We ask God to indeed extend his gospel throughout the world and even here in northern New Jersey. So who and what is shaping your perspectives on the local church. But then, who or what is shaping your perspectives on your own life? What's most important? Getting rich? Having a great 401k? Going on a nice vacation? What's shaping your own perspectives of life. The word of God should do that. We need to be biblically minded, heavenly minded as we live here on this earth. But then lastly, do you see people the way the Lord Jesus Christ saw people? Do you pray and say, Lord, help me to see people the way you do? Do you have a love for sinners? Do you have a love for people? Do you have a heart of compassion for sinners? Young sinners, old sinners. Sinners who are black-skinned, sinners who are Chinese, sinners who are there in Patterson, New Jersey. Do you see people as the Lord Jesus Christ saw people and sees people? We need to confess the coldness of our hearts. We need to confess that we're not as loving as we could be, should be, we're not having the same compassion as we could or should, like Christ. And we need to pray, Lord Jesus, make us 
more and more like you. May God do so and then use us for his glory, for the good of the local church, for the good of churches, and for the good of lost sinners in this world. So let's close in prayer. Father, we ask that you would work in each one of our hearts, that we would be more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would transform our thinking, as well as our affections, as well as our lives, again, that we would be more like our Savior. We pray, Father, that you would help us to think biblically about church life, about the mission of the local church, about your gospel. We cry to you, our God, and ask that you would work powerfully in each one of our hearts and lives, sanctifying us in the word of truth. And for those who are yet still rebels against Jesus Christ, that you would, Lord, save them from their sins and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ even this very night. We ask for these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.